0: The podcast that you're listening to is being presented to you with the cooperation of the SJ Network. If you're a person who needs a publicist and you want to appear on podcasts, contact Stephen Joyner at s-j-network.com. Let's get on with the show.
1: Today is the
0: return of writer, producer, and host of the Stephen J. Rubin's Saturday Night at the Movies podcast, Steve Rubin. He's quite the James Bond expert too. I heard the next Bond will be using cheaper weapons and taking public transportation. What will they be calling him?
1: Savings Bond, of course. Attention, rebels of the Sherpolution. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We would like to give you a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial, simply by heading to www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles of audiobooks and podcasts, including this one, to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now, the one and only Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. As a reminder, the Sherpa is available for weddings, bar mitzvahs, and funerals. He's very good at vacuuming. Welcome to Too Many Podcasts, the podcast about podcasts. Now, podcasting from the Sherpa Chalet on Mount Podcastia, He's your host, Jim the Podcast Sherpa.
0: Hello there, Rebels, and welcome to Too Many Podcasts. It is the podcast about podcasts and so much more. It is me, your favorite podcast Sherpa, Jim the Podcast Sherpa. Yeah, like you know other podcast Sherpas. I don't think you've been seeing other podcast Sherpas behind my back. Are you? I don't know. So anyway, we've got a very special show today because of my guest today. Who's our guest today, Sherpa? You know who he is. His name is Stephen J. Rubin. And Steve was on the last time on the Sherpa screening room to talk about his book, The Encyclopedia of James Bond and this guy. Guy knows all things Bond, and not only that, he knows a lot about movies because he's been a writer, a director, and a producer, and he's got a lot of work under his belt as well, so he gets the biz. So we got together once again, and you know what? He's got a new podcast out, and it's called Stephen J. Rubin's Saturday Night at the Movies. It's a great one. It's an interview show with folks from the movies, some that you remember, some that you might not be aware of. But Steve, he's a great host, so you know you're going to love it anyway. So I'd like to dedicate this show to a special super fan, and hopefully they're listening right now, or maybe their wife is going, well, listen, your name is being said on the podcast! And we're dedicating it to this super fan because I couldn't get to interview his favorite actress, not just yet. And I know it's not Kim Kardashian, but we will be talking about a Kim Kardashian podcast. I'm not making this up, folks. It's true crime. And that's only one of the shows we will be speaking about on Sherpa Samples this week. But in the meantime, let's get to my interview with Mr. Stephen J. Rubin of Stephen J. Rubin's Saturday Night at the Movies. Hello there, Rebels. We are here in the shaken, not stirred room. And what better person to have than probably one of the most knowledgeable people... A two connoisseur, and this isn't video, but you got to see the coolest background that this gentleman has for his recent book, The 007 James Bond Movie Encyclopedia. He's the author of several books, as well as The uh, Twilight Zone Encyclopedia and The Cat Who Lived with Anne Frank. He's also a director and a producer and a film historian, and he's returned to the Sherpa Chalet with a new podcast as well. Called Saturday Night at the Movies with Steve Rubin, and of course it must be the one, the only, the returning Steve Rubin. Welcome back, sir.
1: Thank you. I feel honored to come again to your podcast. I uh, I thought that was only reserved for Frank Sinatra and Jerry Lewis,
0: <laughs> and sometimes Rickles. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: hey, knock knock. Who's there? Dishes. Dishes who? Dishes Sean Connery. <laughs>
0: We had to get that out of the way, you know.
1: My name is Bond, James Bond. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I, I, I'm just telling you this for the first time, and this isn't anything set up, and I'm not saying it just because you are my guest. I have a friend who is a super fan of the show. His, his name is Mike Lamagna, and we were going someplace one day. He says, "He says I got to tell you something." I said, "What?" And he said, "That interview you did with that guy Steve Rubin." He said, "That's probably my favorite episode of your podcast." <laughs>
1: Oh, wow. That's that's great. That's great. Well, we had a great time last night, Jim. We have a lot of shared interests and we love pop culture. And, you know, there's so many facets to that conversation.
0: That's true. So, what, what have you been doing? I mean, since the book came out, and I know you, you just told me that you are working on casting a movie right now.
1: You know, I work every day to try to sell films and TV shows uh, in a very difficult market. I've produced movies. I've had some successes but on, on a small scale. I've done some TV films. I—I I made my debut as a film producer in 2002 on a baseball comedy called Bleacher Bums, mm-hmm. which Showtime ran. And then I I did a World War II movie for the Hallmark Channel called Silent Night. So I'm out there in a difficult market. So my partner, I actually have two partners. I have a comedy writing partner named Billy Reback. Billy's originally from Montreal. He was one of the original writer-producers on Home Improvement and was nominated for two Emmys. He's my comedy Sherpa. (laughs) And basically, we have a lot of fun together. We've written 21 spec scripts and before you applaud that we haven't sold any of them basically because selling scripts these days involves packaging it involves getting the right director getting the stars you know trying to find some money you don't just walk into warner brothers and just pitch a script anymore they don't even read scripts if they don't know you so it's very challenging out there so i i've been kind of trying to find directors, particularly comedy directors. Now, in in writing and comedy, comedy's at a very low flame now on the feature uh, world. You know, if you think about it, most of the movies that are getting made are mostly superhero science fiction franchises. And then at the end of the year, they do about 20 to 30 depressing movies. (laughs) And usually those are the ones that get nominated for Oscars. So where are the comedies? Tell me a comedy that came out this year. I mean, it's now almost November. And the only comedy I think I've seen all year was I saw the reboot of Fletch, which John Hamm took on the Chevy Chase role in a show called, or a movie called Confess Fletch, which actually was pretty good. I thought John Hamm did a good job. So we're working in a tough genre, but we've got some really fun projects. And for your listeners who love Star Wars, the one I'm casting right now is a project called Line Kings. And Line Kings is about a group of super Star Wars fans who line up in front of a movie theater. In our story, it happens to be the Chinese. I'm not sure we're going to shoot at the Chinese in Hollywood. And they're there for three days because the winner of Who Stays in the Line First Longest will win a part in the next Star Wars movie. So it creates kind of a revenge of the nerds feeding frenzy amongst two groups who are determined to be first in line and it's a fun group of funny uh, funny characters and situations and it's all about super fans. You know, what what do they do to love the projects they love and I think the Star Wars fans will like it.
0: Yeah, that that is such an interesting premise. I mean, y- You're doing a movie about a movie
1: (laughs) that people relate to, really. Well, it's 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 essentially a movie about people standing in line to see a movie. (laughs) (laughs) And it it sounds kind of ridiculous at first, but it's based on actual events. We were were about to start another comedy when I was reading in the USA Today paper. This is a few years ago. And they talked about a wedding on the Star Wars line. So I investigated And indeed, there's a group of people. Whenever a new feature comes out and it opens at the Chinese, which is kind of an iconic theater in L.A., uh, a group of people, they just determine they're going to be the first in line. So they sleep over, and they sleep over multiple days. And it's quite a scene. So it's an interesting social scene. And it got us thinking that, you know, we're always trying to be contemporary and with it. And this was an interesting group of characters. Our leading character... Her name is Leia, of course.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because I think especially with Star Wars, that's definitely one of those movies that that people tend to bond over. You know, they're, they're very rabid fans. They have to know, you know, they're very particular about every detail of the movie and and, and the stories that, you know, that, that weave in and out and all of the characters.
1: Well, Star Wars is kind of responsible for me getting in the business at the level I did. Uh, essentially... I was a cine staff writer, as you recall from our first interview. So I I was reading The Hollywood Reporter in those days. And in those days, this is back in the 70s, there were daily trades during the week. So there was a newspaper that came out, Variety and Hollywood Reporter. And I was reading The Hollywood Reporter Classifieds one day. And they were looking for somebody to go on the science fiction convention circuit, the Comic-Con circuit. To promote a new science fiction movie. So that intrigued me because I was actually going to science fiction conventions in those days selling back issues of Cine Fantastique. They never paid me for my articles. They gave me copies of the magazine to sell and make a little bit of a profit. So it turned out. That the movie was the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which of course was uh, was such an interesting remake back in 78 with Donald Sutherland and Leonard Nimoy, mm-hmm. Brooke Adams, Jeff Goldblum, Veronica Cartwright. And the reason they were hiring a convention coordinator was that George Lucas had hired a similar person to do that for Star Wars. They sent Charlie Lippincott, who was a promoter out on the road a year ahead of Star Wars coming out to go to the conventions and get the kids excited. So I, that's kind of how I got in the business. If it, if Lucas hadn't sent Charlie out, I wouldn't have done body snatchers and I would have taken a new path. Who knows?
0: it's <laughs> definitely an interesting turn of events to get to where you've uh, where you've
1: gotten oh yeah i mean you get into the you get into show business at any level you can get into i, I just happen to be a writer and writers uh are usually uh, attracted to pr jobs because they look for writers who can write press releases and proposals and although this wasn't really a writing job I was comfortable on the convention circuit because I'd already been on it. So it was interesting. It's interesting because in 76, two years before I got this job, I was at the Equicon in Los Angeles, and a kid, a blond-haired kid came up to me and signed one of my magazines, May the Force Be With You. This is the summer of 76, a full year before Star Wars came out. And you know who that was? Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill, exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. I I love Star Wars. In fact, um, it's funny because I was traveling in Europe that summer doing the research for my first James Bond book. Uh, I had arrived on the set shortly after they wrapped The Spy Who Loved Me. So I was doing all of my interviews in London as Star Wars had opened in the US. So when I got back to the States in Chicago that August, the first thing I wanted to do when I got off the plane was race. To a movie theater and see star wars because i hadn't seen it yet and i went to one of those downtown chicago movie palaces seats like 1500 people and it was a matinee during the day on a weekday there were only about eight or nine people in the theater and i watched star wars and i was really kind of underwhelmed i said what and i i i kind of liked the movie but it was just it was just there i come back to california i go to chi- the chinese theater Uh, And I see it on a Saturday night, completely packed. And the screaming and yelling that was going on, especially when the Millennium Falcon goes to light speed for the first time, I I couldn't believe that it was an entirely different movie for me then. And then, of course, I became a huge fan. It's funny, when I got back to the States, my friend Bill Malone, who's a horror film director, he did the remake of House on Haunted Hill. He's done a lot of work on Tales from the Crypt and how... Uh, Masters of Horror. He also made models for the Don Post Studios at that time. They they were doing masks. He handed me a prototype for a Stormtrooper helmet, which I wore to the Halloween party that year. I think I was the first person in America to wear a Star Wars promotional helmet. So that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. That's was.
0: that got to get you some sort of uh, special treatment written with, with the force, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I,
1: I, I've got a percentage of the force definitely in me.
0: <laughs> so, so I mean, we talked a lot about Bond, and I know you, uh, well, actually, before I uh, pr- proceed with that statement, I noticed on uh, one of your Amazon listings for the, the Bond movie encyclopedia that George Lazenby actually said that you're the man when it comes to Bond encyclopedias.
1: It was very nice of George to give me a, a, a um, blurb. You know, you have to get those blurbs. Um, yeah, George is great. George, uh, I think he was very underrated as James Bond. I really do. I think mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, if you know the history of the James Bond movies, you know that Sean Connery decided to hang up the, you know, hang up the shoes and move on in 1969 after the release of um, You Only Live Twice in 67. So uh, they brought George Lazenby in and George told them he had made a number of films in Eastern Europe. Now, this is pre-internet, so nobody could check on that. So it turned out that George was lying through his teeth. He had almost no acting sp- experience whatsoever. His claim to fame is he did a commercial where he carries a large chocolate bar on his shoulders for I think it was Cadbury chocolates. That was his one appearance in mass media. So um, he, this is a situation where you've got somebody who is not an actor playing James Bond. And considering that information, I thought he did a heck of a job. He was very comfortable in the role
0: you know when we last spoke no time to die was actually put on hold because of covid and everything and, and i know we were kind of like maybe making predictions as to what's going to happen to james bond and you know well now i, I guess we can kind of give <laughs> give away what happened in the movie but but now that there is no more james bond what do you, where do you think the franchise is going to go with it
1: i think bond will be bigger than ever i think that they're going to recast the role they'll reboot the role i think that you know bond is much bigger than one actor i mean it's weathered sean connery roger moore george lazenby timothy dalton pierce brosnan daniel craig um this is a big franchise and amazon recently purchased the mgm half of the franchise so they amazon owns it in in uh, in sync with the broccolis who own the other half, so mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of money behind the bond because uh, of Amazon's deep pockets. Because don't they own everything? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That
0: is true. Yeah, so I think they I, own the mic, the microphone that I'm speaking to you on right now.
1: There you go. There you go. So I think that um, I think you're going to see a very, very big revived franchise in a couple years. It'll take a while. The big question is who's going to play Bond, and I predicted it's going to probably be a white guy from one of the Commonwealth countries, Uh, somewhat unknown perhaps. I don't think they're going to go for a name actor. Uh, Daniel Craig got the role in two thousand six, and people didn't really know who he was. Uh, You know, he was that blonde Bond, and we were kind of disparaging of him at first until we saw Casino Royale and just our jaws dropped. Who is this guy?
0: Yeah, I know because there was talk that. They were going to make it bond, possibly a woman. Uh, they, they, they always kick around Idris Elba's name. Do you think any of those are a possibility or?
1: First of all, you got to take Idris Elba off the table immediately. He's too old to start it. He's in his 50s. You got to find a guy who's in his 30s to start because basically they want him for at least five films. So with all due respect to Idris, who's a terrific actor, I just don't I don't think he get the role anyways because he's too old. Uh, the, the female thing was all in response to the fact that Lashana Lush, Lynch, who plays Nomi, the CIA agent in No Time to Die, uh, or excuse, not, excuse me, not the CIA agent. She plays a MI6 agent. She gets the 007 moniker simply because Bond has retired. If not, for those of you who've seen the No yeah. Time to Die, so that was that was a silly rumor that Bond's going to be a woman. Bond is not going to be a woman. That's, they're not going to take a 60-year-old franchise and suddenly reverse engines and make it a woman. If they want to do a female James Bond, there's been a, lots of other. Characters that could be, you know, Bond, uh, female James Bonds. I mean, <laughs> Charlie Sterling was Atomic Blonde. Uh, you know, Scarlett Johansson. Every time she goes out, she's an athletic performer. I mean, there's a million ways you can go, but it's not going to be James Bond. But here's an ironic moment, though. In my research, I discovered that um, when the when Gregory Ratoff, who was a character actor under contract to Fox, got the rights to Casino Royale in 1956 or 57, he brought it to 20th Century Fox and they were thinking of making James Bond a woman. This is in 1957, they wanted Susan Hayward to play a female James Bond. So the, the idea of a female Bond was, was uh, hoisted almost at the very beginning and it didn't fly because they just didn't want to make a female agent. Can you imagine the James Bond series starting that way? It would have kind of, you know, I don't know if they would have done one or two movies, but it wouldn't be a 25 movie franchise. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That could be a little bit tricky. You know what? I didn't get to ask you the last time. I'm wondering, and I'm sure when I talk to people who have this vast knowledge of movies like yourself, do you have like the Desert Island discs, like the five movies that if you were stuck on a Desert Island, what what would you want to see?
1: Well, I have one movie that has to come with me regardless because I've done two documentaries on it. I've written about it in my book. I've interviewed people at length, but that is the 1963 World War II adventure, The Great Escape. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my desert island movie. I think it was inspired by the fact it was one of the first movies I saw after having read the book. It was the year before I read Goldfinger as a kid. You know, my dad brought home The Great Escape paperback. And then that summer, we went to see The Great Escape on the big screen. It was a big hit. And then shortly thereafter, I was riding my little Stingray bicycle in Culver City, and I heard a voice at the stoplight behind me say, can you tell me where MGM Studios is? And I turned around, and it was Steve McQueen in a Ferrari. I'm looking. I I did the great double take of all time. And we started having a conversation at the stoplight. He asked me where I was headed. I said, I'm going to a slot car track to race my little slot car. He actually asked me. uh, He said that, um, oh, I hear that they're racing little slot motorcycles now, too. And I said, yeah, I guess they are. I hadn't heard that. But no matter what he said, I would have agreed with
0: (laughs) it. I heard they burned the place down when it's done. Yeah, I think they (laughs) did
1: (laughs) <laughs> but Steve McQueen, talk about one of my idols of the 60s. My goodness.
0: Right. And you uh, did The Coolest Guy Ever.
1: Uh, the Coolest Guy Movie Ever. Yes, yeah. that was my documentary, which is available from Virgil uh, Virgil Film and Entertainment. And interestingly, Joe Amaday, who runs Virgil, he named his company after Steve McQueen's character in The Great Escape. You know, Steve McQueen plays Virgil Hilts. Uh, and so, yo yeah, no, that's that movie is my is my definite uh, evergreen I, of the Bonds. I'll never go far without Goldfinger. You know, Goldfinger still plays today as it did, you know, 58 years ago. Would Star Wars be the, uh... the original Star Wars? Sure. sure the that, would one? Be, that would be in my. T- oh, actually, I would have to say. The second one, I, I think The Empire Strikes Back is my favorite Star Wars movie. I think for a lot of people it is. Mm-hmm. And then uh, comedy wise, it's a mad, 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 mad world with that great comedy cast. Uh, there's so many movies. Uh, I'm a big fan of um, The Best Years of Our Lives, which won Best Picture in 46 with uh, Frederick March and Dana Andrews. Um, sports movies, I love North Dallas 40. Which is a great, great film with Nick Nolte, and um, there's all sorts of. movies. I have so many favorites, and I've been uh, talking a lot about them on my podcast. Uh, you know, I have my podcast now, Stephen J. Rubin, Saturday Night at the Movies, and uh, it's interestingly uh, in a couple of days I'm going to be talking to one of the last surviving members of the cast of the 1954 airline disaster movie, The High and the Mighty which is another one of my favorite movies. I'm going to be talking to Karen Kramer, who later in life married Stanley Kramer, the great film producer um, who who made It's a Mad, 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 Mad World.
0: I actually wanted to bring that up with you, too. What finally made you decide you want to do a podcast? I mean, there's so much knowledge in there. I guess it's probably the best way to share it for people
1: who aren't going to pick up a book just yet. You know, it's a really good question. I think that um, I am so immersed in film history, whether there are things I've interviewed People are learning new things, reading books and stuff. Uh, I'm right here in Hollywood, so I'm in the center of the Hollywood film capital. It seemed like a great place to reach out to people, and now almost 40 episodes in, I'm having a great time with it. It's just an opportunity for me to recapture a lot of the fun I had when I first started in the business to interview filmmakers, you know, the excitement of talking to somebody and learning facts that no people, people don't know. For instance, I had Paul Anka on yes. and Paul, Paul Anka was in a little B movie in 62 called Look in Any Window and it's, um, he plays a peeping Tom, <laughs> And he, I don't think anybody had ever asked him about that experience because Paul, Paul's obviously known for his music. He's not known for his movie career. Although that same year he was also in The Longest Day. He played a ranger. And uh, so I got a chance to talk to him. The other day I talked to Jimmy Hunt, who was the boy in Invaders from Mars, that that scary science fiction movie from 53. Uh, I found Deborah Paget down in Texas and Deborah... Uh, was the co-star of the Ten Commandments with John Derrick. She was in Broken Arrow with Jimmy Stewart. And she also dated um, Howard Hughes and Elvis Presley. So she, she was very interesting and a sweetheart. <laughs> So I'm having fun. I, I I've actually even been able to take some of my original interviews and put them on the podcast. I my interview with Alfred Hitchcock from 1976 I ran on there. I talked to him about the birds. Oh wow! So that was fun. It, it's a shame that he's
0: long gone. But I mean, even like having him like today on a podcast and looking back on maybe like if there were things that you didn't catch from him the first time around, to, you know, to get, yeah, to get able sure. to work in the Nice
1: uh there's so many people who've passed though you know you look at these films that are big favorites of mine it's hard to find people who's still alive. that's why I'm excited to talk to Karen Kramer because she was on that airliner with all that wonderful cast John Wayne Robert Stack Jan Sterling so yeah no finding new information is great uh there's so many podcasts out there I mean what are they saying now? three million podcasts I wouldn't doubt um, it Yeah. So you have to really promote it heavily, which I do on social media. So I'm having fun. You know, um, it keeps me busy uh, in the the part of the business I love the most, which is film history.
0: Yeah. And and there is just so much history to be covered. So it's definitely going to keep you busy, just like with your current movie and your casting. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly.
1: I mean, there are there's a lot of uh, crossover, you know, you can get pretty depressed trying to find money for making movies. It's kind of a, a sad trade to find film money because everybody wants to know, how do I get my money back? How do I get my money back? And you, <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> We're going to try to sell this movie and make money with it. You know, I think keeping the budgets low is, is probably the best way. Um, you know, would I like to make a $35 million adventure film tomorrow? Sure. Yeah. I also like to win the lottery.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've been pretty lucky to, you know, especially within the last couple of months, I've spoken to a lot of people who are really big on film and your your name always comes to mind, especially from like all the stuff that I've learned from you in, in our conversations previously. How, how do you think like if a person wanted to become like a film historian, what, what should be their starting point?
1: It's a really good question. I think that, um, Two, two things come to mind immediately. Obviously, you've got to watch a lot of movies and, and you've got to really uh, learn about them. Uh, we're, we have so much uh, advantage now over when I started back in the 70s because we have the Internet. I mean, IMDb gives you so much behind the scenes information now on movies. and. Um, I think you've got to find something you're really passionate about. Find your find, you know, if whether you're an expert on The Three Stooges or Cary Grant or something you really want to passionately follow, because there have been a number of books written on the film business, but there's no reason why you can't write another book on something. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of James Bond books out there, it hasn't prevented more people from writing James Bond books. I think the key word is passion. You've got to love a subject so much that you'll do anything to find good information about it. I was just talking to Jim Chapman, who just wrote a book on Dr. No, which we're celebrating this month because it's the 60th anniversary of the first James Bond movie. And he literally has a book in the marketplace on the making of Dr. No. And he found some new information. He, he dug deep deep into the financing of that movie and how all the money came together. All the money came together. The movie was made for a million dollars. It's hard to believe that uh, you can make a James Bond movie for a million dollars. But back in 1962, that was considered a pretty good budget. I mean, Sean Connery got like 50 grand to play Bond. I mean, that's nothing. I think the rumor was that Daniel Craig for the last Bond movie got $30 million. It's like insane. It's, it's, it's like sports figures. You know, baseball players get $30 million a year to play baseball.
0: Was it Daniel Craig or Connery who got their choice of Askin Martins whenever they made a Bond movie? Wasn't there a story behind that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I would think it would be more Daniel Craig because Connery had to fight for everything he could get. I mean, I I think the reason that Connery got so disenchanted with the series was he wasn't treated like royalty by the producers. I think he felt he deserved more of a piece of the action because of his, his, his contribution. Um, you know... Um, I hadn't heard that with uh, giving away the Aston Martins. But then again, Aston Martin sells a lot of Aston Martins when they appear in a Bond movie. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if the company just gave Daniel Craig a car because of what he does.
0: Just uh, They probably just say, you know, drive it around this town. And every once in a while, I just kind of look suspiciously at somebody when
1: you pull up at a light. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've been driving my car. And this is back in the days before I got married, and I'd see a pretty girl driving by, and I'd kind of chase after, and then i suddenly say to myself, discipline 007. Discipline.
0: <laughs> now, you were saying earlier, and I agree with you 100%, about when you go to the movies, it's just really those superhero movies or, or you know, sci-fi franchises, and like you said, oh, all the depressing movies at the, end of the year that get nominated for Oscars. What would you think has to be done to change that? Do you think that they need maybe like a breakout star or a breakout movie to, to kind of change people's view of that? Or do you think it's just kind of the, the studio's that that figure, like, well, these are sure moneymakers, so we'll just keep putting that out.
1: Well, you can't argue with success. If the studios think they can make a billion dollars on a Tom Cruise Top Gun movie, you know, obviously they're going to go with the Tom Cruise Top Gun movie. I think that uh, I think that um, Disney has fully invested in the Marvel universe. You know, it's a big deal for them, just like they've fully invested in the Star Wars universe. I think that um, as and, I, and I'm not in the core audience anymore. I'm not 27. And I'm sure if I was between the ages of 12 and 28 or 29, I'd be looking forward to those Marvel movies left and right, enjoying them. I just, as as an older viewer, I like to see more dimension. You know, um, I like to see dramas. I like to see comedies. I like to see adventure films. I mean, there's always something good to see. I mean, it's not like movies have completely disappeared. But I think that I think I'd like to see more family comedies so that we have things to go to. I mean, I always point to movies like Night at the Museum, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future. These are family adventure movies that you can have a lot of fun taking your grandmother or your eight year old. And uh, there are fewer of those kinds of movies lately. And I think we need more of those. I think um, Hollywood seems to love backing idiosyncratic young filmmakers with their own visions for dark dramas. And although I understand this is how they break into the business by getting great performances, et cetera, et cetera, the world's already really dark. You know, it's kind of where the news is always awful. And I think uh, just like during the 1930s when Hollywood was producing madcap comedies, you know, screwball comedies, they were called, to get people's minds off the depression. I think we need more movies today that keep our minds off the depression. I don't go to the movies to get depressed. I mean, I respect movies that tell an important story and perhaps an issue-oriented story, and there's room for those, but I go to the movies to escape. I go to just kind of zone out everything. I'll sit down on my seat, grab some popcorn and a drink and see something I can't normally see. And I don't see as many of those kinds of movies. Now, I'm not saying that the Marvel and the science fiction genres don't do that. They do. But I think there needs to be other kinds of movies, too.
0: Yeah, they've got to appeal to a broader market. Like you said, That those sci-fis and marvels, are, they're, they're kind of a limited market, but at least there are people who have a lot of, I guess, expendable income where they're going to see these movies four and five times.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And the studios, I mean, the prices of these movies are incredible. That's another problem is to market them, to market a movie on the big screen costs tens of millions of dollars. So if you're a filmmaker and you want to get your movie on the big screen it better be a mass market type of movie because they're not gonna spend a ton of money marketing a movie to a small demographic. Now they recently had this movie come out called Bros, you probably heard about it, about a kind of a gay romantic story. Yes. And I, you know, it seemed like a fun movie for a certain kind of market, but it wasn't for a mass market. And what happens? They spent a ton of money on it and it didn't fly. It was really more of a limited audience. And, you know, again, those people went to see it, but it was not a big mass market hit. And they yet they spent a fortune on marketing it. I think the studios have to learn that for marketing, on the big screen for a mass release, like that it has to reach a much broader demographic
0: yeah and and I'm sure, as you know, there there's probably plenty of movies that maybe the studios didn't have as much faith in them, and they were released and kaboom, they like like jaws, right? They didn't really have a lot of support from the studio they they kind of threw a lot of money in it, and they were just kind of like, I don't know about this movie.
1: Well, the same thing for Star Wars. I think Columbia Pictures turned down Star Wars. They didn't believe in it. I don't even think Fox believed in Star Wars. I mean, they gave it $9 million to make, and uh, I don't think they believed in it. What did I read recently? Oh, and doing the research for Rocky, which celebrated a few years ago. I did a big cover story for uh, Cinema Retro on the 40th anniversary of of Rocky, and uh, the studio didn't even want to make Rocky. And when they finished the film, they just wanted to shove it out there. But Rocky was such a spectacular hit that summer. Right. And it won the best picture. It beat all the president's men and beat Network. Uh, these are movies that just are astoundingly good. And yet, Rocky was the king the king money maker and the king winner that year. And justifiably so, because Rocky's a great movie. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Adrian! Actually, I have, a, I have a funny story because I worked for Jack Schwartzman and Talia Shire. Jack produced the remake of Thunderball, you know, the James Bond movie with mm-hmm. Sean Connery. And he was married to Talia Shire. And Talia Shire, of course, played Adrian in the Rocky movies. And um, the year uh, I was working with him, she was invited to be a, um, uh, a guest at the Hollywood Christmas Parade. So I got I got to sit in the car with her, you know, handling publicity because I was a publicist in those days. And we're we're you know when you go to one of these Christmas parades, there's a lot of lights and energy when they appear before the TV cameras. But then they go off on the rest of part of Hollywood, and it's very dark on the streets. And I was a little nervous because people kept on yelling out. and i was we had no security whatsoever people could have just jumped us but uh we uh we survived
0: (laughs) that's an interesting holiday movie i think there you writing about
1: there there you go (laughs) actually the movie i was working for i was working on a movie of theirs i was handling publicity for a movie called rad RAD, which okay. was one of Schwartzman's movies about BMX bicycle racing. It's kind of become a little bit of a cult film.
0: We have a portion of the show and it is called shameless self-promotion.
1: Shameless self-promotion.
0: This is where you get to let everybody know, you know, where they can follow you on social media, where they can get a little more information on, you know, that you're working on. And, uh, and, of course, about the podcast, Saturday Night at the Movies.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. The podcast is called Stephen J. Rubin's Saturday Night at the Movies. J is spelled out J-A-Y. It's available on Amazon and Apple and Spotify. It's uh, I usually record on Wednesdays. We debut on Saturdays. Um, I also publish a classic movie review on Facebook every Saturday. I also do it on Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, on Facebook, my f- main Facebook page is Stephen J Rubin, and then I have a Facebook page called Stephen J Rubin Saturday Night at the Movies, and then uh, I have um, the same account on Instagram. And uh, I love to hear from the fans of Talking Movies. So if you want to uh, me- message me on uh, on Facebook, just uh, Tell me you're a classic movie fan, and I'll, I'll friend you back.
0: Before we let you go, you were telling me the, uh, before we started recording that you were doing auditions. And and how many people are auditioning for this one part? Uh,
1: <laughs> well, this Star Wars movie I was telling you guys yeah. by the fan movie, one of the key parts is a character named Munif, And he's either a South Indian national or a Middle Eastern national. We haven't quite figured it out yet. But he's the ultimate Star Wars fan. He wants to be the first in line like everyone else. And so I put it up on the breakdowns, which is the service provided to get the town knowing that there's a part available. And would you believe I had 891 responses to this one little part? I mean, it's like it's a lead part, but... So I'm now going through 891. Actually, it's up to 1,000 actors who want to play Muneef. And it's he's the comedy spirit of the movie because we love Muneef, so... I'm having my challenge this week, but this is a little movie that we think we can get made for under $2 million, which was the donut budget, I think, on Star Wars. (laughs) And um, we're piecing the cast together, and then we're going to use a site called Slated. Slated is a way of reaching out to film investors. So with our cast in place... And a good director, I think we have a shot. You
0: know, when it comes out, give me a yell and I'll throw it on my social media too to let people know that thank it's... Thank
1: you, thank you. The title is Lion Kings. Not lion like the animated classic. Lion is L-I-N-E, Lion Kings. And these are these fans who stand in line for three days and go through this adventure.
0: There we have it, folks. Steven Rubin, host of Saturday Night at the Movies. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: You are the Sherpa. Thank you. Be a rebel. Follow the show at SherpaLution
0: on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Oh, yes, you love that song, and you know what it means. It's time for Sherpa Samples, and that is where I check out some of the podcasts that are out there on the charts and give you a little bit of information about them. It's just that simple. And if there's a podcast that you would like me to sample that I have not sampled yet, I've gotten a bunch done already, please let me know. Uh, message me on Sharpolution on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and I can check it out. And your name will... I know what's going to happen. It's going to get mentioned on the show. I bet you're so excited. Oh, we. <laughs> All the excitement. Anyway, uh, the shows that I checked out this week are a little bit all over the place. Uh, We've got a little bit of British here with off-menu with British comedians Ed Gamble and James Acaster. And the rest is history, which was an episode about the early life of Queen Elizabeth II. And that's hosted by two British historians, Tom Holland and Dominic Sandbrook. Two things that I know nothing about... uh, sports, and we checked out the Bill Simmons podcast, and they did an NBA draft, and I didn't really know what was going on. I guess it was fantasy teams. I I don't know. I'm not sure. Don't don't ask me. Don't quiz me. (laughs) I could. But Bill Simmons is apparently the man who's very popular with these sports podcasts. And another thing that I know nothing about is Dungeons & Dragons. I've tried. I've tried, folks. And uh, I checked out a podcast called Not Another D&D Podcast, featuring Emily... Brian, Jake, and Caldwell, and I guess they were doing D&D Court, uh, the listeners uh, write to them about some of the rules of the game, I guess, and what should they have done, and uh, kind of dog pile comedy, like I call it, you know, one makes a joke, another one jumps on top of it, another one jumps on top of it, that, that kind of stuff, but you know, if you're into D&D, I'm sure you probably get it a lot better than I would. You know, I realized that I had not even discussed the podcast Serial, and it's been around for eight years. How could I skip it? I don't know. But it is now really known as Serial Productions because the Serial podcast itself uh, doesn't come on as often as it usually does. So there are other podcasts in that Serial network. And I listened to the beginning of a show called We Were Three, and it had to do with... uh, a daughter recounting losing her father and her brother to the coronavirus, and just the reactions to getting vaccinated and everything like that, and the the, the information that got passed back and forth, uh, really makes you think in times like this. You know, uh, I'm not going to get you know announce my stance on it either way, but uh, the podcast definitely takes an interesting look at it. Another one that was kind of a surprise was Kim Kardashian's The System. This is uh, exclusively on Spotify. And I know she had gotten involved with uh, taking up the case of people whose maybe pleas for justice were unheard. And I know that a few years back, she actually helped get a woman freed from jail who was serving a lengthy prison term for just uh, drug possession. Now she's going into some other true crime stuff. Uh, there are lawyers that she works with. I don't know how much of a legal background Kim Kardashian has, to be honest with you. But I guess with her name, uh, if Kim Kardashian doesn't get you attention, I don't know who will. So uh, one of them was a story about a, a man who's in jail for a life sentence for murder. But uh, he's saying that he never committed it and that he was railroaded into jail. So that's the first episode that I heard on that podcast. But uh, it was pretty interesting. And also, uh, we got a little political. And uh, Rachel Maddow, who's on MSNBC, presents Ultra. And that had to do with the plane crash in 1940 that killed a U.S. senator. And there's a couple of other things that have to do with conspiracies and plots against the government and all sorts of stuff like that. Really interesting, but not necessarily having to do with today's news, but I guess probably drawing some tangents to some of the things that might be going on in the world and in the news. Uh, No Agenda is with uh, Adam Curry and John Dvorak. Uh, That's about three hours long, those episodes. Uh, I don't know if it's political. It's really more anti-media more than anything else. Uh, They they talk about a Obviously, a whole lot of subjects in those three hours. And sometimes they go a little bit longer, too. Uh, Adam Curry, as we mentioned, I think, in a previous show, had one of the earliest podcasts. He uh, was the guy who was first dipped his toe in the water, so to speak. And he's got a number of podcasts that are out there. And this one uh, was interesting to hearing the, the opinions that they had to speak. And also, there was the Tulsi Gabbard show. Tulsi Gabbard was a congressperson and former candidate for the United States presidency, who obviously did not win. Uh, I guess all of these episodes are going to be uh, about politics. She's changed her political affiliation, so I think a lot of those episodes are going to be about that. So if you're into politics and you want to hear what she has to say, there's your podcast to check out, The Tulsi Gabbard Show. And finally, there's The Basement Yard with a guy named Joe Santigato with his friend Frank, and they... Really, don't say what the podcast is about. They just kind of talk about this and that, and there's a lot of swearing. So maybe not one for the little kitties to be around while you're listening to that. But uh, maybe if you like their kind of humor, it's something worth checking out. So there you have it. That's the Sherpa samples for this time around. Maybe next time I'll do a little theme again. We haven't done a theme in a while. I don't know. I'll see what I can do. Anyway, Again, if you've got a podcast that you'd like me to check out, whether it's yours or one that you just love to listen to, let me know. You can message me again on social media. Sharp pollution is the word, of course. Or you can even email me at jimthepodcastsherpa at gmail.com. Whew, that was easy, wasn't it? Not as easy as the outro! A very special thanks to Stephen J. Rubin for coming on the show. And be sure to check out his podcast, Stephen J. Rubin's Saturday Night at the Movies. And I neglected to mention that his show is also being produced by Ben Shrewsbury, who is the host of the podcast, Two Marks and a Spark. And we got to talk to Ben a while back. So if you listen back in our archives you will hear that interview as well. And I had so much fun working with Ben, and Steve told me that he has a great time working with Ben. He's a really cool guy. So thanks a lot, Ben. Hello to you, my friend. And if you want to hear some of my archives, you can hear this show either on your favorite podcast app and just hit the subscribe button, Or if you don't want to do that, you have another exciting option. Yes, an exciting option that is going to SherpaLution.com where you can hear every single episode, every single episode of this show from beginning to now to beyond. It's all there. And not only are the shows there, you can get some podcast merchandise at the T-Sherpa shop. And my new thing is shopping with my affiliates. Yes, I have become... An affiliate. I am affiliated with things. And if you go in there, you can get some cool links to Southwest Airlines, or stuff on Amazon, or stuff on Paramount+. Plus. How do you like that? People are starting to notice me. Well, maybe not, but I'm an affiliate, so I can put that on my resume. (laughs) I don't know. You know, I would not ask 99% of you for a ride to the airport, but what I will ask you is if you could please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a nice review for this show and help spread the word about the Sharp That's all you got to do. Doesn't cost you a dime, folks. Nice and easy. All right, Lord Mr. Bruce, we got to get on out of here. We've got another show coming up. We've got to get ready. And until then, thank you folks for listening, and we will see you next time. And until then, viva the Sharpolution
1: Thanks for listening to too many podcasts. Please disperse. You can go home now. I said you can go home now. Viva la Chapolition. Viva la Chapolition. Yell, come back now, you hear?